Well, it's my joy and pleasure to welcome you back to Graceway Baptist Church's Sunday School Hour. And uh, teachers, again, I appreciate so much your diligence and hope these things are helpful. When I, uh, I do this because when I first came here, there were a lot of lessons that were written by uh, my father-in-law. And I would try to take those lessons and then figure out what he meant and uh, sometimes I would call him on the phone and ask him what he meant. Other times, uh, circumstances mandated that I just simply figure it out for myself. And there were times on some of those old tapes, some of you may remember if you've been around for the last 25 years, that uh, there were times when I would even look and say, uh, here's what the lesson says. I have no earthly idea what that means because it's really hard to interpret especially when something is in outline form, like our lessons are, what in the world did they mean and where did they get that? And so it's my joy to try to explain to you what I'm thinking, and hopefully that will uh, clarify it. And uh, so uh, I've committed myself that as long as the Lord gives me the ability, this is what we're going to do. Even if we were using literature from a organization or denomination or something like that, I think I would still do this so that you as a teacher would have confidence of knowing where I stand on these issues because we don't want to get to where what is said in the classroom doesn't match up with what comes from the pulpit. That's confusing to people and this is our chance to kind of come together and think about this and hopefully we don't just all come together and think of it like Greg thinks of it, but hopefully Greg and all of our teachers are thinking about what the Bible says and interpreting that, interpreting that clearly and correctly so that we give a unified message that comes from the throne of the Lord himself. So thank you for your diligence in all of this. It's very important, again, that we be unified on this. Uh, secondly, if you're watching this because you have been unable to attend Sunday school, I, I just really want to commend you for that. I think that is absolutely great. It's awesome. And I really appreciate that. You're able to stay up with us and stay up with the church. It shows not only your commitment to the Lord and commitment to his word, but it also shows your love for the church, for the local church. And we ought to love the church because Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Anybody who says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, that's an impossibility. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his people. And in fact, in the book of 1 John, loving the people of God, the church, is actually a sign of salvation, isn't it? So thank you so much for that. And may the Lord bless you as we study this together. Here's our next question. And I think it is a very good question and a question that um, people do not think about and contemplate often enough. Here it is. Is baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Now, if you listen to, uh, who was it? Carrie Underwood. And she sang a song a while back that, kind of describes baptism, and she says there must have been something in the water. Do I have that right? Um, I may be getting my songs and artists mixed up, but I think, I think it was. And it conveys the idea that somehow when I'm baptized, that water is washing my sins away, washing my sins away. Well, if that's the case and you're baptized in a river, all those poor fish and people that are downstream because they're getting all of your sins. Um, 
We need to answer this question because some people kind of have the idea that there is some ritualistic purification, washing away our sin in the waters of baptism. Is that what the Bible teaches? And that's what we're going to attempt to answer today. Here's the way the New City Catechism answers it. No, only the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit can cleanse us from sin. Can I say that again? No. And they could have stopped there, I suppose. But only the blood of Jesus Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit can cleanse us from sin. You know, we sing about this from time to time. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and the baptistry. Nothing but the blood of Jesus and the river. Not, not at all. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Again, we go back to the Reformation and we think about uh, the cry of the Reformation, only Scripture. See, the Roman Catholic Church went by Scripture and by church tradition and by the word of the Pope whenever he spoke ex cathedra. That means he was speaking from his throne, making an official pronouncement. Well, the Reformers said, that's led us into all kinds of sin, all kinds of error. Luther was particularly bothered by the fact that they would sell indulgences. And to people that in that day were largely illiterate, they didn't have their own copy of the Word of God, and the, the Word of God was not translated into their language. So they just would go to church, and the only time they would hear the Bible would be perhaps at church. And then they would hear it in Latin, a foreign tongue to them. And then they would only hear the priest as he explained it because only he was qualified to read and explain the scripture. And then when scripture is not the only uh, source of your revelation, somebody could have a dream, somebody could have a vision. Um, the Pope might have eaten too much pizza before he went to bed, whatever. And all of these things become revelations and church traditions and all of that, and they were to take those as being truth. Well, that turned into a doctrine called purgatory. The word purgatory, if you spell it out, it has the word P-U-R-G-E in it, purge. What, what would that mean? Well, they teach that when you die, you've got to be cleansed of further sins. You've got to be cleansed. Maybe, maybe your faith and keeping the sacraments didn't get rid of all of them. You have some residue remaining, and so you go to purgatory. Now, if, you have a, if you're a good Catholic with a big stain of sin, you stay in purgatory for a long time. If it's just little, you stay there a short time, but that's what gets you ready to go into heaven. You see, folks, when the Roman Catholic Church teaches about justification, they do not believe that it is an event, an event that takes place one time and you are declared not guilty by God. They believe it is a process. As you keep the seven sacraments of the church and as you conform your life to the teachings and traditions then you get closer and closer and closer. But it's not until you get out of purgatory that you are actually justified and qualified to enter into heaven. Now, I suppose there are some people, they would say, who go instantly from their deathbed into the presence of heaven, but most do not. Now, what was happening during the times before the revelation is that because they didn't 
settle everything on the Word of God, but church tradition and the Pope speaking ex cathedra and visions and dreams and all of that, they not only came up with the doctrine of purgatory, but now, conveniently, some came up with the doctrine that says, you know, if you are concerned that your loved ones are suffering in, uh, you know, purgatory, which is kind of a form of hell, and uh, hell light, I guess we would say, but nonetheless, they're suffering there and they can't get into heaven. If you will give money, they called them indulgences, we can get them out of purgatory into heaven. So the more you give, the quicker they'll get out of purgatory. So not only are they there being purged from whatever sin that's left over, but now their relatives, who largely were poor, illiterate people, were now sacrificing their income to get a loved one out of purgatory. There was a saying back then that said, um, every time a coin in the, I forgot what they called it, the, the collection rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Now, when Luther found out that the just shall live by faith and not by rituals, and when he found out that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, he was infuriated by all of that because all this was was a money-making scheme in the Middle Ages. And that, by the way, is how they financed building St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. Conflict of interest, maybe? And so he began to preach against this, and he began to um, really, he and Calvin and Zwingli and some of the other reformers, and so they said, Scripture only. Because without that, you run into all kinds of error and all kinds of problems. And then they said grace only. You don't earn your salvation. It is given as a gift, freely given by a holy God to undeserving sinners. Well, how do we receive this grace? Their next cry was faith only. It's not by giving, it's not by joining, it's not by rituals, it's not by anything that we do or denying ourselves in that regard, like through Lent or something like that. It's not through the blessing of a priest. It is simply through faith in what God has said and what Christ has done. Okay? And so faith only. And then they said it's Christ only. Christ only. Not Christ plus any ritual. Not Christ plus the church or the pope or a bishop or a priest or anyone else. And so we ascribe to those even today. Now, Baptists are not technically Protestants. Uh, Protestant has kind of come to mean just non-Catholic, but actually it has the word protest in it. And we weren't around as an organized denomination or movement during the uh, Reformation. And so we're technically not Protestants, but we do ascribe to those things, those solas, as they're called, of the Reformation. And so that leads us, if we ascribe to those, to affirm this, that no, only the blood of Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit can cleanse us from sin. Now our scripture, enough of a rant there, I suppose, is Luke chapter 3, verse 16. And... Um, let me get back here to the right spot. Man, that skipped 
two or three pages there. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I, that would be Jesus, is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John is saying that Jesus is not just going to be someone who puts you in and out of water as a symbol. He's going to do the real thing and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when we think about water baptism and uh, what it can do, it can get you wet, but it can't give you the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can do that. It can't take away the judgment and the wrath of God. Only Jesus can do that. It cannot fill you with the presence of God. Only Jesus can do that. Okay? Number one, water baptism is useless apart from salvation. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. See? When uh, my youngest daughter Chelsea was playing basketball, she had a friend who was a, she, she and her family were devout Roman Catholics. And Chelsea and this girl got into a discussion about salvation. And Chelsea quoted Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, it bothered that girl. And she went to her mom and said, if the Bible says this, why is it that we do? And she listed several of their rituals. And that bothered the mom. And so the mom went to go see her local priest and said, if the Bible says we're not saved by our works, why are we taught that we do? And the priest said, oh, that verse is saying you're not saved by bad works, by bad works. And that satisfied her, and that was kind of the end of the discussion there. Hopefully a seed was planted, and I pray that uh, it was, and that it's watered, and that it grows. But uh, think about this. Paul's words... If you're talking to a Catholic, you can even say St. Paul, because he indeed is a saint, just like you are, said in the book of Titus that it's not because of works done by us in righteousness. So that priest was dead wrong. Paul was not just speaking about bad works won't save you. Any, any idiot knows that, right? We, we can kind of figure that out. I think most lost people would figure that out. But this is even saying works that are done in righteousness are inadequate to save us because it says it was according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, new life, being born again, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, listen to this, by the blood of his cross, not the waters of baptism, not by taking the Lord's Supper, not by anything else that we do, by the blood of his cross, that one time sacrifice for all believers. 1 Corinthians 1.17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's what Paul says. Have you ever noticed that he didn't include baptism with the gospel? 
The gospel is one thing. The baptism pictures the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation, the euangelion, the evangelism of those who were lost, knowing that they can be saved by grace through faith, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they surrender to him as Lord. Notice Paul said, God did not send me to baptize. Hey, if baptism is necessary for salvation, then why didn't he? Why was Paul able to let other people do the baptizing? Why did he not feel called particularly? It wasn't that he never did it. It's just that that was not his main forte, was it? So notice how they separate those things. And we need to understand baptism is not a part of salvation. Salvation does not come by any of our righteous works, totally, totally by Christ and in uh, symbolizing what spiritually has already taken place in our lives. Okay, number two, water baptism points to Christ. If baptism saves, then it means that I can always point to myself. I was baptized. I submitted to baptism. Well, what would it say to me as a pastor every time I baptize somebody doesn't that mean that I can point to me and say, I had a part in their salvation. I was a part of their salvation, actually. Um, that would be a, kind of a scary thing to think about, wouldn't it? What if you were baptized by a person who later fell into sin, left the ministry, and maybe even denied the faith? The guy uh, Joshua Harris back in the day wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye and several other books. And um, then he became a pastor of a megachurch in Maryland and uh, continued on in that. And he is no longer in the ministry. He's divorced from his wife and just recently said, I can no longer identify myself as a Christian. Well, that's tragic, isn't it? What about all the people he baptized? If baptism is a part of salvation and baptism and the person who baptizes you, they're all part of your salvation. What does that say about all of those people? Man, that's a kind of a scary thing. Well, here's the thing. Baptism does not point to the preacher. Baptism does not point to the person baptizing. It points completely to Jesus. And those people are saved and their baptism is legitimate because they did it in obedience to Christ, and it's about Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you that you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It was an empty profession, in other words. For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel. And by the way, when you're presenting the gospel to someone else, Make sure it centers on Jesus. 
make sure that they deal with their sin and see that Jesus is the full payment and the only payment for their sin, and that's why he came. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross just to show us how much he loved us. He did indeed love us, and it is displayed on there, but that wasn't the real reason. He could have given us all a pony on our birthday or uh, you know, a new car or something like that if we wanted to say that he loves us. But dying on the cross was where he was the sacrifice, and God the Father actually and literally poured the wrath, his wrath, toward our sin on Jesus Christ, and Jesus took that for us. And don't leave out the resurrection. You know, when you simply say, well, all you have to do to be saved is pray this prayer, go down front, get baptized, ask Jesus into your heart, any of those things, there's no death, burial, or resurrection. And that's what Paul proclaimed and what he wants him to understand. This is what I proclaimed and why I proclaimed it to you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And it all points to Jesus. And so when we stand in the waters of baptism, we're not just simply saying that I died to sin and I was buried and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. That would be true. But we're also saying my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, as the hymn says, right? I stand here to picture to you the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ as a full payment for my sin. And baptism by immersion is, of course, a gospel picture. That's why I would encourage anybody, whenever you get baptized or if you're counseling someone that's getting baptized, tell them, bring your lost friends and family members to witness that because it is indeed a picture, a proclamation of the gospel. Okay? Let's see. We've already covered that. Let's go on now. And... Um, well, and I think that's one reason why baptism was generally a public event in the Old Testament and why we do it publicly now. Okay, thirdly, water baptism testifies of the sinfulness of man. Now, I've told you this so many times before, but just in case you've forgotten or somebody hadn't heard it, I made a profession of faith when I was about 10 years old. I don't remember anything much about that except walking down the aisle thinking this will make them happy. Now, I wasn't trying to say this will fool them. I wasn't trying to say I can sneak in and be an unregenerate member of the church. Nothing like that at all. There was no hypocrisy in it. But I didn't fully understand the gospel at that point. And I was just doing what I knew mom and dad would want me to do and what the preacher would want me to do and what the church members would want me to do. And um, so I did it. And I don't remember what I prayed. I don't remember what they told me. I'll assume they told me the right things, but the uh, things of God are not perceived by the natural mind. Remember that? And I just didn't get it. But when I was 22, boy, did I ever get it. I was hit under the conviction of my sin, knowing that I would die and go to hell, and knowing that Jesus was the only way for my salvation. And it was a completely different situation at uh, that particular point. And so um, I trusted Christ, and I was saved, of course, and then I was baptized. What was the difference between 10 and 22? And I can point to this one thing, because I think when I was 10, I knew the facts about Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, probably answered them affirmatively. 
but I didn't really have the conviction that I was a sinner, a dead sinner, that I'd broken God's law and that I would face the penalty of an eternity in hell because of that. I don't think I had anything like that at all, not even an inkling. An inkling might have been enough, but I, don't, I, I didn't deal with it. But boy, did I ever do that when I was 22. And so baptism is a time to testify to people that I'm not saved because I'm a church goer. I'm not saved because I come from a Christian family. I'm not saved because I did all of the right things. In fact, just the opposite. I'm standing here in the waters of baptism because I'm a dead, I was a dead sinner, was a dead sinner. And I was going to go to hell and die in my sins. But God in his rich mercy had compassion on me, sent his son to die for me, and then was so kind as to send his Holy Spirit to make the gospel make sense to me and to draw me to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now, boy, that's the truth. You, the Bible says that the law will shut people's mouths, and it'll especially shut their mouths when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They'll have no defense. It goes on to say, But with you there is forgiveness. Baptism testifies, I've been forgiven of my sins because of the shed blood of Jesus, that you may be feared. So the purpose of our testimony is to point to Jesus and that others might be uh, respectful of what Christ has done and who he is, <coughs> and they would fear him, reverence him, honor him. And so it's an acknowledgement of sin and depravity, and it's an affirmation of the judgment of sin in hell. If it weren't, then why do it? And why, why be saved? I've heard people say for a long time, well, I'd be a Christian even if there were no resurrection. Well, I wouldn't. Why fight the battle? Why put up with the persecution? Why go through all of the self-denial? If there's no afterlife, live any way you want. Be like the Epicureans, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. But if there is an afterlife, and if there is a God, and if there is a judgment, then we've got a whole different problems. And baptism is our affirmation, even of that doctrine. And it reminds us of the exclusivity of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There's no other sacrifice that can wash away our sins. All religions, by the way, are not equal. I heard somebody say one time that religious freedom is every man's right to go to hell in his own way. Only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. And it testifies of a God who is loving, merciful, and gracious towards sinners. And praise his name, I'm so glad that he is. Number four, water baptism pictures a spiritual reality. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. For we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now notice when Paul says this, he said, we were buried therefore with him by baptism. Well, that could maybe if we didn't read any further, maybe that's water baptism. But then he has to mess up our theology by saying, into death, baptized into death. 
And uh, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, that points to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in some sense that I don't understand, but it's affirmed in the scripture, especially in the book of Romans, when Christ died on the cross, I was there with him and so were you. And my sins were paid for by him and I was buried with him and I was also raised with him. And on that day when I became born again, the reality of all of that came into my life. Now, I haven't been resurrected yet, still got this physical body, and that's why I had to have a repair on my heart, and that's why you have things that you suffer with. We're going to get a, a new glorified body in the resurrection, but not yet. And yet we're identified with the resurrection of Christ. And that's why water baptism pictures this spiritual, mystical reality that is affirmed in the scriptures. And that's why Paul even says later on, that uh, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? And then he talks about how we died with Christ and Christ is dead to sin. And guess what? We are too. And that's why sin does not have the right or the power to have dominion over us. That's uh, some really bad choices that we make whenever we do things that we know are wrong. And so baptism, water baptism is a physical picture of the spiritual reality of what took place when we were baptized into Christ, into his death, burial, and resurrection. And we will live the rest of our days in Christ. The book of Ephesians mentions in Christ, in the Lord, or in him uh, over 40 times. And uh, that's a reality we can't really explain, but it certainly is true. And so we died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him. And baptism is an outward picture of an inward spiritual reality. And so uh, another reason why we baptize believers and believers only, and why we baptize them by immersion, uh, it's, it's the picture. Well, let's wrap it up. Baptism is not required for salvation. It does not help us to salvation. You don't gain any points or anything like that. And it doesn't finish salvation. I, God did his part, and then now I do my part, get baptized. Oh, now I'm saved. It doesn't work like that. That's not biblical at all. The water is not magical. It's not holy water. It is, however, a picture of what Christ has already done for us, and it is the first step of obedience after salvation. So I hope that kind of clears some things up just a little bit because there are a lot of people out there that believe somehow that getting into the water, there's some gospel songs and other songs that talk about, you know, getting into the water and what the water does for us. And my sins were washed away on that day, when I, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, they baptized Jesse Taylor and it was on that day that um, God gained somebody and Satan lost a good right arm or whatever it is that song says. You know, come on, we got to quit getting our theology from songs and we got to quit getting our theology from bumper stickers and Facebook memes and things like that. Hey, go to the Word of God and it'll make things clear. There was a preacher one time that uh, didn't have a whole lot of money but he loved the Lord and he was preaching the best he could to his church. He was uneducated. And the church 
got together and they bought him a whole set of commentaries. He had never had anything like that before, and he was so excited about it. A deacon asked him later on, uh, Pastor, how do you like the commentators? And he goes, oh, they're good, but the Bible sure does shed a lot of light on them. Well, he had it right, didn't he? We always go to the Word of God, primary and as our final subject, the final word. Not a preacher, not a book, not a DVD Bible study, not a commentary to the Word of God. And if those other things help us understand the Word of God, then amen, glory, hallelujah. But if they're getting in the way of it and they're taking us out of the Scripture, then shame on them. We've got to get back to the Word of God. And this is what the Word of God teaches about water baptism and about the gospel and about regeneration by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and his shed blood and his shed blood alone. Well, thank you so much again for your prayers as I recover from my surgery. I look forward to being back again with you and uh, we'll keep you updated on how things are going. But in the meantime, please continue to pray and may I express my thanks to uh, Isaac for his preaching and to Brother Dale for handling and administrating thing and covering things on uh, Wednesday night for me. And thank you all for all of your uh, expressions of love. I appreciate it so very much, but particularly your prayers. Love you and God bless you. And uh, we'll see you again, hopefully very soon.